Okay, we're uh, we're back at it. Many guys who aren't from Oklahoma, Bernie, you have no idea. We don't like them. It's personal. We got a logo too. We've been working on one for 18 years, and, and we want everybody in the country to know, with all due respect, we got a logo too. We are back at it. Welcome back to another edition of the Pistols Firing Podcast. I'm Carson Cunningham, joined as always by Colby Powell. Colby, we're uh, doing this on a Sunday. We had our uh, schedules. We're pretty busy this week, but man, I'm, I'm glad we waited till Sunday. There's a, there's a lot to discuss, not only with Oklahoma State, but what a, what a tremendous sports weekend it was. So much happening in the sports world. I was talking about yesterday was a, a day full of buzzer beaters for me from soccer to golf to basketball. Uh, it was an exciting sports day and we've got more exciting sports days coming. OSU uh, baseball, softball, both playing well this weekend. Big baseball game, the rubber match between Texas this afternoon. So, uh, yeah, it's been a while, Carson, since we've been able to get on here and, and get together. But we've got a lot to get to today. Yeah, we have a lot to get to with Mike Boynton and the future of Oklahoma State basketball. Obviously, spring uh, practice is underway for football. Mike Gundy's been meeting with the media pretty pretty regularly. Uh, he's had a lot of interesting things to say, so we'll discuss that as well, and as well as March Madness and just everything that's going on in the sports world. we got the Masters coming up this week. I know you and I are fired up about that as well. But first, let's hear from Chris's University Spirit, your one-stop cowboy shop. Be sure to shop at chrisuniversityspirit.com. And again, if you're checking out Softball and baseball, which I know, Colby, you're going to be heading up there a lot for baseball games. I still need to go see O'Brate Stadium. I need to go take my dad up there for a game because, gosh, I don't remember the last time he went up there for a baseball game either. So I got to get up there. And when I do, I'm going to stop by Chris's University Spirit as always. Colby, let's just – um, oh, my microphone's falling out. <laughs> I was going to say, you just went from uh, crystal clear to underwater. My microphone cord is like – jostled loose and it just uh, literally just fell out due to gravity so hopefully it stays in there for now but uh march madness I, let's just i feel so bad for florida atlantic last night before we get into mike boyne and oklahoma state basketball i mean florida atlantic has been legit this entire tournament they were up by like 14 with like six minutes to go and san diego state comes roaring back and hits that buzzer beater i mean this has been a tremendous march madness tournament colby and and i, and I gotta say I kind of predicted that, right? On the last show you and I did, I said that the college basketball has changed so dramatically from the sport you and I grew up watching, whereas we never used to see two seeds lose in the first round, let alone one seeds. And the reason for that is these one and two seeds don't have four juniors and seniors that are all going to get drafted in the NBA. Like those guys, if you're any good at all now, any good, and I mean go playing overseas good you go do that versus staying in college these days just to make some money now maybe nil will help with that but colby i kind of saw this coming i said this is going to be the most parody we've ever seen in the ncaa tournament and that's that's proven to be true and what a tremendous game last night yeah it was unbelievable and, and you nailed it with college basketball in particular i think is um is going to be something moving forward where I don't know that we're going to have these dominant teams. I, I think that the blue blood, the power of the blue blood, it's not going away in college basketball, but I certainly don't think that it has the power and the strength as college football because the best players come for a year, they leave. It's hard to build those elite teams at these blue blood, blue blood programs. And you get a school like Florida Atlantic, they get some veteran guys, some guards that have played together, that have been around. You get a couple of transfers in who can shoot. And all of a sudden, Florida Atlantic and San Diego State are playing a, a great Final Four game. Uh, even Miami on the other side, I mean, they're not a blue blood. They play in the same conference as Duke and North Carolina. But Miami is one of these schools that has a mega booster. They've got some money. They were able to bring in some transfers like Nigel Pack, uh, some of these guys uh nigel pack was a kansas state guy i believe and he goes down there i think he got 800k for two years uh is what i was seeing on nigel pack so the nil is going to allow a school like miami who's never been a basketball school to get some pretty good players in and be competitive it's also going to allow a school like florida atlantic to maybe get some of these um late bloomer guard type guys who can shoot who can play who, who get chemistry together and can go out and win 35 games and flirt with a national championship and I, I think that that's good for the tournament moving forward. I, I think parity is good. Um, I, I do think if you had like a final four that was Duke, Carolina, San Diego State, and Florida Atlantic, 
That would be fun, having powers against Cinderella's. When it's all Cinderella's, it loses its effect a little bit if you don't have the David versus Goliath aspect. Uh, but, yeah, I think college basketball moving forward because of the impact a single player can have coming or leaving um, on the floor, I think college basketball is set up for some serious parity moving forward. Well, yeah, and just you, you just look at that. I've said, said this many times, Oklahoma State's last Final Four team, those guys were all juniors and seniors, and and all of them had professional careers. I mean, that just doesn't happen anymore, and that's kind of why I was thinking it would be so wide open, and that, that's proven to be true. Now, when you hear Florida Atlantic basketball and Oklahoma State basketball, those two don't really go together, but there was a famous moment that happened that I was in the building for with Florida Atlantic. Do you have any idea what I'm talking about? No, you said you had an Eddie Sutton, Florida Atlantic story for the pod. And I'm like, I no, no idea. So as, as many of our listeners know, my dad has had season tickets. Uh, we started going, I think Eddie's first year, maybe. Uh, Old Gallagher was what I was brought up in. And we were going to like one of those weeknight, you know, early season, like a Wednesday night non-conference game. We're walking to Gallagher, Iba, and I, I think I mentioned to my dad, who are we playing tonight? And he's like, something called Florida Atlantic. And I was like, man, we better not lose to them. My dad goes, we're not losing. We're, he's like, we're not losing to Florida Atlantic. I go, dad, you just jinxed us. We're going to lose now. I'm just kind of kidding around. December 2nd, 1998, the Florida Atlantic Owls shock Oklahoma State with last second layup. Here's the lead paragraph from Bob Hersom in the Oklahoman. It might have been the biggest upset loss in Oklahoma State basketball history. It definitely was the biggest upset in Florida Atlantic history. Uh, Florida Atlantic 83, Oklahoma State 81, Tuesday night on a steal and layup with 1.1 seconds left, ending Oklahoma State's 80-game winning streak against non-conference opponents at home. Quote, Eddie Sutton, I don't think they could beat us more than once if we played 30 times, but they did beat us tonight when they played us. <laughs> so, And I still, to this day, Colby, have never forgiven my dad for jinxing the hell out of Oklahoma State that night. Uh, I mean, yeah, that's obviously on him. I, I can't think of any other reason why they would have lost the game that <laughs> night. Um, wow. No, I did not know that that Eddie Sutton had his team and their 80-game home non-conference winning streak broken in 1998. Can you imagine 80? 80. Well, in my dad's defense, I mean, it seemed like a lock, right? <laughs> and here, here's oh, yeah, the crazy yeah. part. Florida Atlantic, they, they only started – they only had a team like as of six years, seven years. They started the team like seven years before. They were five and twenty-two the year before, and forty-six and one hundred and twenty-one since becoming a team. <laughs> that is unbelievable. So unbelievable. that when I hear Florida Atlantic, that's forever what I'm going to think of, and that was a, a crushing loss for them, and it was a crushing loss for Young Carson back in in 1998. So apparently, I his coach is going to stick around. I saw something the other day where they're going to give him a, a nice boost, and he's going to stick around, which is kind of surprising. I mean, a lot of times, coach of school like Florida Atlantic, you make the run, you take a bigger job. But uh, yeah, apparently, he's sticking around. Well, have you seen what that campus looks like? Someone tweeted a photo of it this week. Yeah, it's like in Boca it's, Raton. Like it's yeah, it's, it's unbelievable. <laughs> now. Uh, I think he'd be wrong to stick around. He's got to go the Florida Gulf Coast route and get a bigger job, I would think. But Yeah, I listened to an interview with him the other day, and he said uh, him and his family love it there. This was before the Final Four game. That him and his family love it there. It's a great place, and uh, that he wants to be there for a long time. Now, that's what all coaches say, but then I, I hear that, and then I hear that he signed a contract extension. I'm like, well, maybe they really do love it down there in Boca Raton. Because so, it sure seems like he could parlay this into a bigger job. Um, because the th it wasn't just a Cinderella run. It was a great team that won, what, 35 games? So, uh, yeah, good good for him for sticking around, though. Yep. Uh, let's get to Oklahoma State. Mike Boynton's been, you know, he met with the media much like uh, Mike Gundy has as well. Um, there was a great article from Kyle Boone on the state of the program, an off-season checklist for Mike Boynton. And I kind of wanted to go through it with you, uh, Colby. But but first, just what, what's been your take on kind of Mike's approach and things he said, because the thought I had was, look, the results aren't there. We all know that. We've discussed that. Um, I just, I go back to the Travis Ford era. And one thing I appreciate about Mike Boyne, I think the reason he has, he's curried so much favor in Stillwater is he doesn't make a ton of excuses. Now he has referenced Avery Anderson. He has referenced Musa Cisse, their injuries, which is just a fact of how the season played out in some ways. 
But I just I go back to when I was covering Travis Ford and just every press conference. It was like performance art how he would his entire press conference was designed to make up excuses for why he wasn't winning. It was like all of all of us guys that were covering the team would just kind of roll our eyes and look at you like here he goes again, make make an excuse like just when are you gonna win? And so I'm blaming for not getting up there and making any excuses. He's he's been pretty forthright with the fact that he's not getting the job done. So you're you're underwater, Carson. My back. You're back. When did you lose me? Uh, oh, like the sentence before. Okay. Well, just I, uh, I think you get the gist of what I'm saying. I appreciate my Boynton being forthright and not making just excuse after excuse after excuse. You know, Travis Ford was up there trying to pretend that Michael Cobbins was was uh, Wilt Chamberlain, and Boynton hadn't done that. He he knows the deal. So I, I was just curious your take on his approach since the season has ended and and things he's had to say. Yeah, as far as things that he's had to say, I mean, the guy can own a room and he, he can say the right thing. He, he has this genuine way about him. It's owning the press conference. It's not the problem with Mike Boynton. He, he says the right things, the things you want a coach in his position to say. He's like, look, I've had conversations with every player. That's what we talked about. You know, I, I feel like we, we compare football to basketball too much, but we talked about, you know, football season ends, and then the coach is like, yeah, I don't talk to the players. They figure all that stuff out. And, and it drove us nuts, right? It, everybody complained. Me, you, the listeners, we got so many tweets about it. That was the one thing that drove everybody nuts. So then you hear Mike Boynton, and he's like, no, I've sat down with every player. We've had conversations. I know there's 85 football players. There's 15 basketball players. It's not apples to apples. I understand that. But he's like, I'm talking about w- with guys about whether them being here again next year is best for the program, whether it's best for them. We, we want to do what's best for the kids, but you've got to meet expectations at Oklahoma State too. And he said, I acknowledge that. And I, I mean – He's saying the right things. And like you said, that's why he has curried so much favor because he can own a room whenever he gets in there and he gets in front of microphones and it it seems genuine and he's saying the right things. Um, He's talking about the portal. He knows that they've got to get shooting. Uh, I mean, the shooting has been so bad. You, you sent this thing over uh, the other day on, on Pistols Firing Blog, an off-season checklist that Kyle Boone threw together, and, and he laid out the numbers uh, of three-point shooting for Oklahoma State teams under Coach Mike Boynton. This past season, ninth, the year before tenth, this is in the Big 12, the year before eighth, the year before eighth, the year before first. I'm assuming that was the Desagua lindy Waters year whenever they really didn't have that great of a team, um, but they were good three-point shooters that year. They've got to find sh- shooting. Uh, he knows it. He's saying the right things, um, but that's going to have to translate to wins next year. I think I think we're all kind of on the same page about that. Yeah, and I think that's just the biggest flaw with his regime has been the lack of shooting. Um, it's just, I mean, you spelled it out that the ranks there are just, it's gross. And I know they're in on a lot of, and this is where I'm kind of tiring of the Mike Boyne era, era in some ways is, Colby, I feel like I've read these articles on Pistols Firing that are now popping up. OSU in on a in on a transfer shooter. OSU recruiting an, a, a high level shooter in the transfer portal. Haven't we heard this song and dance before? And that when they get to Stillwater, they just can't shoot. Like I, this is where I'm kind of tiring of the cyclical nature of how this regime has played out. Because I we I feel like I've I've heard of a million transfer shooters that have that have been recruited and have ultimately a few have come here and just it's never quite improved the shooting that that need, that it's needed to. I agree with you, and I also think that it's a catch-22 for Coach Boynton because we, we look at the situation, and it's like, yes, obviously they need to bring in transfer shooters. That's what they need. But the, the thing is, they need it to work. They, they've done it. It hasn't worked. They bring in fair and flavors. It, it was a lower level, but the dude was an absolute sharpshooter out at Cal Baptist. He comes in, he's fine. He's fine. He, he really doesn't shoot the ball that well. Caleb Asbury was a really, really productive guard for Oklahoma State. He was really streaky. I mean, there'd be games where he'd go 0 for 6 from 3. They, they haven't been able to bring in that consistent shooter in the transfer portal. But also, I mean, those are the guys they've got to keep going after. So does it sound like a broken record? Yes. Is it kind of a catch-22 because it, it's really the only strategy to immediately improve the shooting? Also, yes. Yeah, I mean... I just, I'm dubious, Colby, I guess is what I'm trying to say. <laughs> that's fair. I, I think that's completely fair. I will say I'm looking forward um, to seeing what Brandon Garrison can do and the impact that he Ooh, can have. Oh, boy. Can he play? Um, yeah, he can play, man. I, I really wish 
that uh, Parker Fredrickson, the kid from Bixby, hadn't decommitted. That's a bummer. He won the Oklahoma High School three-point shooting contest the other day. He's instead now committed to Wake Forest, so that's a big bummer. But getting Brandon Garrison, another in-state kid, uh, Dell City, and, and see what he can do. Yeah, I, I'm looking forward to seeing the impact that he can have as a freshman because um, Kyle makes a great, great point in maybe it was this article, maybe it was a different one. Um, no, it's establishing a lead guard. And again, if people want to read this, it's state of the program and offseason checklist for Mike Boynton OSU basketball and pistolsfiringblog.com. But he, he makes a great analogy here talking about if you have two quarterbacks, you have none. That's kind of the saying everybody has in football. Well, if you have four lead guards, you have none. Oklahoma State needs a lead guard, a guy you can trust with the ball in his hands, every possession. You can trust him in the last five minutes. That that role has been shifting between three, four guys. Avery was kind of that goal, that guy. Bryce was that guy. Uh, for like three games in the middle of the season, Caleb Boone was that guy. And, and then Caleb Asbury was that guy. They need a, a singular lead guard who can take over. Um, so, yeah, there, there's a lot of questions with Oklahoma State basketball. But uh, I don't know. I'm, I'm still optimistic because they're getting guys. Uh, I think next year will go better. I think it'll be a tournament team. But, yeah, they've got to start winning consistently. Yeah, and I think the lead guard issue uh, is certainly understandable with the lack of, you know, Avery Anderson going out injured. That's really when the season took a turn for the worse because of that. And I think it leads to kind of his fourth point on this, which was taking care of the basketball. And I think this is a real reflection of coaching too, Colby, is that the turnovers is just – that was probably the biggest issue for them, even, even probably more so. The shooting kind of ebbed and flowed. It, it mostly was bad, but there were some good moments, whereas the turnovers were just – just catastrophic down the, down the stretch of the season. So I, I kind of view those, you know, in the same basket, you know, the lack of a league guard and also taking care of the basketball, but that's just inexcusable Colby. I mean, that the one thing you can do as a basketball team is not turn the ball over and, and not beat yourself. And I think that's one of the more frustrating things for, you know, the Oklahoma state fan base grew up under the Eddie Sutton model of, if you turn the basketball over, you're going to go sit down. <laughs> you're going to go sit with Eddie for a while. We just, you, you could almost predict it when it happened. You were like, you know, give him like three seconds and Eddie's going to sub him out. And that's about when it, when it would occur. So that that's one of the other issues as well. And, and also starting better. They, they get off to some slow starts too, Colby. So that are, that's kind of the issues that, that Kyle Boone laid out. Yeah, no. And those are all very valid. Um, I, again, I, I think that, look, they know what they need to address. We're not sitting here breaking news to them. It's just, it's tough, man. It's tough whenever you have the one year of Kate. I think that's the thing too, is we, we saw the success and then it just hasn't been able to be replicated. And, and I'm not suggesting that they go out and get another Kate Cunningham. Um, those guys aren't just, you know, floating around walking through the door every day, but man, you, you just have to put it together better than they have. Um, and, you know, talking in here about kind of some of the analytics, some of the schools around the country, Villanova, Alabama, th those type of schools that have embraced the analytics, layups and threes. Uh, I've talked about the amount of long twos that Oklahoma State shoots and not just necessarily situationally, but just throughout the game. A lot of long twos from Oklahoma State. It's a lot of mid-range stuff uh, that we're not seeing the better offensive teams at really – most levels now now do. Those shots just aren't efficient over the course of a game. Uh, if you need one late in the shot clock or late in the game in, in a situational uh, point, that's a little bit different. But, yeah, I think Oklahoma State has to embrace the threes and layups a little bit more. But in order to do that, you've got to have guys who can shoot it from distance. So that's the number one thing to address. And uh, hope, hopefully they get it done, Carson. We're, we're kind of just in a, a holding pattern right now because we know that there's going to be quite a bit of roster turnover. Yeah, I mean, we'll, we'll have to wait and see what happens there. And the Big 12 is not resting on its laurels. Grant McCaslin from North Texas, who came into Gallagher-Iba and beat Mike Boynton and ultimately went on to win the NIT, was hired by Texas Tech. Texas Tech, Colby, I think is just kind of, you know, Texas Tech gives Oklahoma State a lot of grief for uh, copying their traditions. You know, they, they, they're, they're very triggered by Oklahoma State in that way. Well, how's Baylor feeling right about now? They took Joey McGuire from Baylor. And Grant McCaslin, a long-tenured Scott Drew disciple, uh, maybe maybe Texas Tech is just Baylor light these days. Yeah, I saw that McCaslin was headed that way. North Texas went on to win the NIT after taking down Oklahoma State in the, what was that, the quarters, I believe. Uh, yeah, McCaslin at Texas Tech is going to be interesting. That's that's a good job. Uh, a lot of guys have had success there. Texas Tech, Lubbock, they love, they love them some basketball. They really do. So, um, you know, North Texas, I believe when I was watching the NIT game, I saw had the, the fewest points per game given up in Division One. So, you know, it's 
I struggle with college basketball coaches who want to keep the score in the fifties because I think that's boring. Um, that, that honestly has been some of Mike Boynton's tenure, you know, a lot of games in the fifties, but then the one year they have K there were games in the nineties. So, uh, you don't know if that's a style choice or if that's just a necessity via personnel. Uh, but yeah, we'll see what he does at Texas tech, but I think he'll be successful. I think that's a really good job. Well, and he's got, he's a guy that would have been on Oklahoma state's radar if they, if they made a move. Um, I believe the the AD at the time at North Texas was Oklahoma State graduates. There's a lot of a lot of tie-ins there. I think he was interested in it, but obviously that's he's you can't just pass up on a Texas Tech level job. And, and he obviously uh, is a good coach. So Big Twelve's getting tougher, uh, even even in a down year for Tech. They they already make a move, so that's that's going to make things even harder on Mike Boynton. Um, and this quote is where I'll leave it with, with my boy in Oklahoma state basketball quote, our fans want to see the program have success in the tournament. My job is to put a team together that has our fans that our fans want to support. That's really what my focus is. So he knows the deal. Uh, it's a big year next year. I don't, I don't know if they can afford to fire him when they're trying to fund a $300 million athletic village, uh, or not. But I think Chad Weiberg is a lot like, Mike Holder in that we kind of thought Mike Holder wouldn't get rid of Travis Ford because of his contract, but at a certain point, if you're not winning, you got to make a move. So, and I think Mike Boynton knows that Colby. Oh no, he absolutely does. And and he, I think knows that the pressure's on next year. And uh, I mean, that's part of it. It's, it's a big boy job. This is division one men's basketball. Um, you, you've got to go out and get it done. So um, he knows what needs to be done and we'll see. We'll see. I, I want to be optimistic, but it's, it's becoming cautious optimism at this point, and we need to see some results for for everything to continue the way it is. Uh, what about college football? Mike Mike uh, Gundy speaking with the media the last last week or so. Uh, he's he's been in a good mood. Uh, he's come out of he's come out of hiding, and I thought Barry Trammell wrote a really good column uh, last week, just kind of basically saying like, "Look, there's no reason to like go down in a bunker because when when Mike Gundy speaks, he tends to have a calming." positive uh, impression and influence on the fan base. And I thought that was a really good take because he does like, like Mike's jovial. He's, he's great with the media. And I think he needed to talk to kind of stem the tide a little bit about all the negativity surrounding the program. And he's done that. And uh, I think he likes the 37 new players, which is a jarring amount of new players, Colby, but uh, Mike's in good spirits. And, and who knows what this season will bring, but it's been interesting to watch kind of the things he's had to say and and the fact he's kind of lifted the lid on the transfer portal and everything going on with that. He's had a lot of takes to fire out there. Has anything stuck with you? Uh, what stuck with me most was his mood. I mean, I watched it because I wanted to see um, kind of just how he was. You know, the last time we saw him, he wasn't in a very good mood. He was in a much better mood uh, this last week. He He was kind of... I don't want to say cutting up with reporters, but he seemed to be a little more light, you know? So sometimes Mike Gundy just feels heavy. Like, like, the, like it's just answering these questions is a burden. And sometimes he feels light and jovial. And I, I kind of thought he felt light and jovial this past week, which, um, you know, he talked about the transfer portal. And I think that, you know, he had talked last year about how he thought the transfer portal was going to simmer down. And he just outright said last week, I was wrong about the transfer portal. I thought it was going to simmer down. It has simmered up. And, and he acknowledged that. I think he recognizes that college football is no longer what it used to be. And it's never going to be that again. It's a new era and we're only moving forward from here. And I, I do think that it took him a little while to wrap his head around that because I think he was longing still for the good old days of college football. But the way he spoke last week, I think he's now at the point where it's like, yes, let's embrace this because this is the world that we're living in now in college football. Uh, and I think that's encouraging from Oklahoma state fans because, um, you know, we talked about it a lot during the season. I was playing golf last week. Carson, one of the guys in the clubhouse was talking to me about it, just uh, about Mike's drive and about the way he was talking last season about college football and about the way the sport was moving. And that vibe and his tone felt different to me last week. Did you, did you feel the same way? Yeah, I, I think he's, getting with the program and and I, one thing I've always given Mike credit for is he's he's really been ahead of the curve with a lot of things I've, I've lost track of all of them but he he wanted the expanded playoff before any coach was speaking on it he's been very uh, he was kind of ahead of the curve with the defensive shifting in the big 12 like the defense is catching up with the offenses I feel like he was obviously ahead of the curve with that um he's he's been a very sharp forward thinker you know he's 
he, he has this kind of, you know, kind of goofy persona, but he's actually really sharp when it comes to the sport of football and, and where things are heading as a whole. I thought he was not that way with the portal, but he actually has even come around and, and I think he expanded it further because he had comments talking about how the only way college football coaches are going to be able to manage rosters now is when they sign their letter of intent, it's like a three-year deal, that, that type of structure. And I, I just think I, I like listening Mike talk about the sport as a whole. He talked about expansion as well. So yeah, like things are fine. Like in terms of him being the figurehead of, of Oklahoma state football, I just wonder if they're going to win any, very many games next year. That's my concern. And Bill Haston wrote a really good column as well last week. Bill, you know, he I had him on the podcast one of those weeks you were off skiing, and he's in this column. He he's predicting Oklahoma State to have a losing record this season for the first time since Mike's first season in two thousand five, and he, he he just cites all the people they lost. In fact, they had their worst running game since two thousand one. Les Miles' first season. Uh, he he is not bullish at all on Oklahoma State. And there's a lot of ways to look at it. I, I think that kind of shows you the, the wide range of outcomes for Oklahoma State, because I don't think I would pick them to have a losing record, but I think that the range of outcomes for me, Colby, is so wide due to all the new players, the 37 new players in the portal, all the production they lost on offense, the switch to a new defense. There, there's a lot going on. So I, I really don't blame Mike Gundy for talking about you know a wide variety of topics, because there's a lot going on with just his roster. Yeah, there absolutely is, and I, I don't think that I would pick them to have a losing record next season either. I just for, for any shortcomings that Mike Gundy's had, there's just as much good on the other side, and you know he has done a great job of putting out a a consistent product over the last twenty years, where you, you kind of know you're not getting a loser. They, they don't go under five hundred. They they they. Go to bowls. It's a consistent program. They don't have the big fall-off seasons uh, that we've seen at some other places. I don't think that they're going to have a losing record. Uh, some things will have to go right, and they'll have to get some things figured out. But, I mean, that's kind of Mike Gundy's wheelhouse. When, when everybody leaves, and then all of a sudden you go from a year with high expectations to a year where you're picked to finish eighth in the Big 12, that's kind of where Oklahoma State sneaks up. And it's like, man. That team looks well coached. They're doing some things to beat teams that are obviously more talented than them. Uh, I, I don't know why that is the case, but I think that they're going to be okay uh, as long as they get some decent quarterback play. And, you know, w that's no guarantee at this point. Um, but with an entire offseason, I, I have to believe that Mike Gundy will do a good enough job for this team to have a winning record. So I, I don't know that I would necessarily uh, agree with that at this point. Yeah, we'll have to see. And again, there's there's a lot of new faces, you know, people are marveling at this defensive tackle, um, Justin Kirkland from what, Utah tech <laughs> a school. I didn't even know existed. He's six, four, three fifty eight, which is great. And it looks cool and still photos Colby, but can he play dead? Can he get off a block and tackle someone? I, I have no idea. 346 Gundy actually said he's down to 340 now. So putting in that work with coach glass, I don't know what he is as a football player. We can just look at his size on paper and that looks great. Love that size on paper. I'll say this, you bring in Brian Nardo, they're wanting to switch that three, three, five. You know what you need in a three, three, five. You need a mammoth of a human being right there in the middle, taking up space. You just need somebody right there that cannot be moved. And six, four, three, 40. I, I sure like that at defensive tackle in a, in a, uh, in a three, three, five. Hopefully he can play. Yeah, like I, I used him as an example, like the receiver from George Fox, like looks great. He's six six or whatever. He's big, big body receiver, but can he play dead? <laughs> we have no idea, and we're gonna find out. I think that the reason I bring that up is it speaks to kind of the unknown that is Oklahoma State football coming into this year. And and, and I'm so glad you mentioned the three three five with the big fellow in the middle because Colin Oliver is shifting to outside stand up linebacker position, which. You and I have been screaming from the mountaintops. Why is Colin Oliver not on the field? It's it's nothing new. He played about 30 snaps a game, roughly. Uh, if this gets him on the field more, Colby, I'm all for it. I, I really do like the move to the 3-3-5. I'm, I'm pretty bullish on Brian Nardo. I know it raised a lot of eyebrows, but as I've mentioned on this podcast before, when they hired him, like Joey McGuire came from the high school ranks, and, and, this, and Nardo's been in the college ranks, even though it's a lower level. So, like, that doesn't just eliminate you from being a good coach, but man, I'm, I'm hopefully we can get Colin Oliver on the field full time this year, Colby. That'll, that'll make a big difference in my opinion. 
Yeah, because I want to see what he is as more than just a pass rusher, right? Because he's so good at getting around the corner, getting to the quarterback, doing all that stuff. But it seems like there is is more there with with, with Colin Oliver. And if this gets him on the field, you know, 20, 30% more, um, I, I don't know what he's going to look like in coverage and, and tackling in space and stuff like that. But you just got to have your most talented guys on the field more. And Colin Oliver is obviously incredibly talented. We saw what he did as a freshman. Uh, he was unbelievable as a freshman on that defense that just d- defied all uh, logic w- with what they did that year. Um, yeah, Colin Oliver's got to be on the field more because you've got to see if, if he can do things in other areas of the game uh, to even close to the level that he rushes the passer, then he's going to be really good for Oklahoma State at that position. So, uh, yeah, the three-three-five will be different. The position change for Colin Oliver will be different if he's not doing quite as much true pass rushing and is more just kind of another defender who plays uh, multiple roles. But uh, I think from what we've seen from him, he can be good enough to be that guy. So uh, that'll be fun to watch if he ends up on the field more doing a little more hybrid type stuff. Yeah, I mean, it's to me, it's needed. Now, you're right. I think we have to see him in a full-time role because I, I distinctly remember that missed tackle against Kansas when you and I were watching the game with your folks. Yeah, that wasn't yeah. that wasn't good. So I wasn't, we'll, I wasn't we'll have to see. Say it. I that you you know I said tackling in space. I wasn't gonna say. It. <laughs> so, yeah, you're you're a better man than I am. Apparently, I'm 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 more to the point, I guess. Uh, one last thing about uh, Oklahoma State football. Uh, this was interesting. You know, Mike Gundy's philosophy on quarterbacks has has changed. You know, we've been kind of talking about how, and this is just, it's been a weird transition really since the Mason Rudolph era, right? You got Spencer Sanders, the mobile type. Then then they recruited Shane Ellingworth, just the complete opposite. Uh, it appears Mike Gundy's not going to be doing that anymore because he says, quote, I don't know that the pocket, the pure pocket passer is as relevant as it used to be. Uh, you have to be able to move around and avoid a rush and make a play. He references Brock Purdy. Yeah, he says you couldn't really get your hands on him and get him down. He's not going to take off and run 60 yards, but you couldn't really grab him and, and tackle him. And I think that's why he's recruited the the Garrett Rangels. And, and apparently it's pronounced Flores, Zane Flores, not Flores. Uh, he's not going to wow you, but he can get outside the pocket and, and get a first down, Colby. And we've seen that in the NFL level, coming from the college level. That's almost become a prerequisite from quarterbacks. Like if you have a statue back there, it just it really limits – some of your successes on third downs when when the, it's an obvious pass rush situation it really just that is such a carrot for an offense that you almost have to have it in in today's world in college football yeah you really do and it is it is interesting the way that he talked about it uh and and kind of talked about the shift you talked about him kind of being ahead of the curve i don't know that um i'd go that far on this but oklahoma state has had just I think it's been weird at the quarterback position, right? Since Rudolph, it's been weird. You, you've had a lot of different styles, and it seems like they haven't been totally settled on one. And, you know, then whenever your backup is a, a total opposite 180 from what your starter is, your starter goes down because he's a runner. You bring in a guy that, you know, the offense is different. You, you can't even hardly run the offense because um, it's all designed around this one guy, and whenever he goes down, you've got problems. So I, I think more consistency in the quarterback room in terms of style is where Oklahoma State needs to get because injuries are very much a part of football, Carson. And with, with Spencer Sanders, and then you've got like a Shane Ellingworth backing him up. I mean, whenever he goes down, your offense, it's just, it's going to be weird and it's going to look odd and guys aren't going to be comfortable because it's different. It affects how the offensive line blocks when you've got uh, a runner versus a statue back there. Uh, yeah, so I, I think that that stuff is going to go away and I think they're going to go to more hybrid quarterbacks that aren't necessarily zone read guys like Spencer Sanders, uh, but I don't think we're going to see too many more uh, Shane Illingworth types either. You've got to be able to move around a little bit. Absolutely. Um, did you see the uh, six members of the new Hall of Fame class into Oklahoma State Athletics will be inducted? I did yeah? How about that? That's uh, let's see. I'll just read them off. David Arnt, who was a wrestler, Justin Blackman, Ricky Fowler, Yolando O, mm. Yolanda Odinio. I hope I pronounced that right. If it's I don't, Yolanda Odinio. Yolanda Odinio. Thank you, Carson. I appreciate that. Uh, Ann Pitts was a coach, women's golf. Uh, and then a Legends Division honoree, Shelby Wilson, for wrestling. Uh, yeah, some big names in there, Carson. Most notably, obvi- most notable, obviously, if I can talk on a Sunday morning, Justin Blackman. I, I think having Justin Blackman around uh, more is good. He was a big part of Oklahoma State football. Obviously, some things went poorly uh, once he got to the professional ranks. Uh, made some mistakes, but he's, I, I think, should be welcomed with open arms to Oklahoma State. Uh, and I enjoy seeing his name on things like this.
Yep. And I, I think he needs to go up in the ring of honor soon. Cause for my money, he's the best college football wide receiver in the history of the sport. And I will argue that with anyone I've done. So on Twitter, you can pull up all the numbers. Uh, you can certainly pull up the eye test as well. Uh, he's, he's the best receiver in the history of college football bar none. So he, he's well-deserving. Obviously Ricky Fowler, uh, more so as an ambassador for Oklahoma state. He obviously was a, a great golfer as well. I mean, two-time first team all American, um, was he a Ben Hogan award and Phil Mickelson award finalist or did he win? He won that award. Uh, I don't know that he won that award. I, okay. I guess I it's listed on his bio that on the announcement, but obviously we all know Ricky and, and what he's done for Oklahoma state and he comes back a lot. So I'm sure he'll make it work for his schedule and Yolanda Odenio Colby. My first job at the daily Oak Collegian at Oklahoma state was the soccer beat writer. And one of the first stories I ever wrote was on Yolanda Odenio. Cause she was obviously amazing. And she was from Sweden and young, inexperienced Carson. First question. So what's it like in Sweden? She just kind of <laughs> looked at me and was like, what do you mean? I'm like, well, how different is it from Oklahoma? And she's like, well, it's different, I guess. <laughs> so not a great journalistic start for me on my first, you know, exclusive sit down with a, you know, a soccer superstar Colby. I hope my career, there was only one way to, for my career to go up from there. <laughs> that is incredible. Uh, I love to picture young student journalist Carson just asking, so Sweden thoughts <laughs> yeah i mean that's that, not it wasn't that far off from that I'm, I'm gonna be honest with you i was nervous i had no idea what i was doing and uh but she was great she was so nice so welcoming and and same same with uh karen hancock the coach at the time she was so so gracious to me as well so that those were some fond memories of mine so that's, that's the hall of fame class that's uh, a great, real quick uh ricky did win the phil mickelson award as the nation's top freshman uh in the 0809 season and he was the first freshman to win the ben hogan award as the nation's top player uh man. he was also the big 12 individual medalist as a freshman dang i i didn't realize he was that good out of the gate that, yeah so 2008 that... as a freshman 2008 big 12 player of the year and big 12 newcomer of the year well that explains why he went pro so early i mean you do that your first year i mean there's not a lot left to do yeah, yeah, no doubt. So that that makes a ton of sense. So that that's a great class. Uh, you ready for uh, bullets and BBs? Yeah, I've got some good ones. You want to go? You want me to start? Uh, you can go. I'm going uh, women's college basketball route to today. Uh, Caitlin Clark. Oh my gosh, Carson, did you happen to sit down and watch the Iowa South Carolina game Friday night? I caught the highlights, but I did notice that Iowa was scoring points oh. for the first time in a long time. So. Yes, I, I see what you did there. Thanks thanks for playing, Kirk Ferentz. Um, my wife and I sat down and watched that entire game. I, I just happened to sit down right as it came on, saw it on the guy. I was like, let's watch this. It was such a great game, and Caitlin Clark is unbelievable. First time I've watched her this season. Um, I, I'll admit this. I, it's been a while since I've watched women's college basketball. It's just there's only so many things uh, that you have fan with for. But I was like, I'm going to sit down and watch this. Best player versus best team. It was unbelievable believable she was incredible south carolina kept trying to get the ball inside um iowa wouldn't let them caitlin clark you know pulled up from the logo at one point and the more i've read about her this weekend read a story uh this morning that, that she won't be eligible for the nba draft until playing another year collegiately but she'll probably make more in nil deals um an iowa food bank wanted to give her an nil deal she insisted that they not pay her but that she volunteer for free uh she does a lot of that anytime uh a kid at the the hospital there wants her to come take a picture uh hang out with them do any of that she she goes and does it every time um the more i learn about caitlin clark the more of a caitlin clark fan i am um i i had a blast watching her play basketball the other night and the more that I read about her, uh, the more that she seems pretty amazing. So, uh, Caitlin Clark, major bullet. Uh, she has brought, I think, a ton of eyes to women's college basketball over the last couple of weeks. Caitlin Clark has scored more points in postseason play, 235, than Iowa football scored all season, 230. <laughs> How about that? That's incredible. Maybe she can be the offensive coordinator up there in, in Iowa City. It's uh, Kirk Ferentz is probably really confused watching them try to quickly push the ball up the court and score. Yeah, so she was, she was pretty incredible. Um, yeah, that that was good stuff. Uh, you you a fan of uh, Kim Mulkey's attire, by the way? Gorder assisted on every point in the fourth quarter. Uh, Caitlin Clark did the other night wow. as they dethroned South Carolina in their forty-two game winning streak. No, I'm not a fan of anything Kim Mulkey. Carson, to answer that question. Can you get a more look at me? 
persona than that. Like to hell with your team, right? It's all about you. I mean, that doesn't surprise me at all. She was always not very friendly. I'll say in post-game press conferences and not well-liked. And uh, can I interrupt you? Can I interrupt you? Because I want to do this. I, I've got my sheet here listed with my, my bullet points that I want to hit. Carson, you're taking my BB. My BB's going to Kim Mulkey because they are playing for the national championship this afternoon. I'm sure this is going to be timed out by the time people listen to it, but Kim Mulkey gets my BB because Kim Mulkey throughout her entire career, Carson, you know, you, you and I have been around for a while um, in the sports media world. I just cannot think of anyone who treats people more poorly than Kim Mulkey. And no amount of trophies that she wins will define her and her legacy. Her legacy will be the way that she has treated people throughout her career, and she is the absolute worst. So win or lose today against Iowa, Kim Mulkey is a loser, uh, and I think that she will be remembered much more for the way that she has treated people than for any amount of games that her basketball teams win. Uh, I think it is good versus evil this afternoon whenever Iowa plays LSU. Kim Mulkey gets my BB uh, for, for the way that she has acted throughout her career, uh, and I could not be pulling harder for Iowa to just beat LSU down this afternoon. Standing ovation. I mean, I, I could not say it any better. The Caitlin Clark fans will grow in numbers just to root against Kim Mulkey. I, 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 I would reiterate everything you said. That, that's great stuff. I've been wanting to sound off on Kim Mulkey for two days, and you started going in. I was like, no, no, no. <laughs> Uh, my bullet is going to go to Kenny Gajewski for career win number 300. Uh, they run ruled incarnate word twice on Saturday, winning 21, nothing combined, uh, win number 300 for Kenny Gajewski. Again, just what a brilliant, brilliant, brilliant hire from Oklahoma state. He's turned Oklahoma state into a softball power Colby. And as you and I have discussed many times, Nobody really went to softball games when you and I were in college. It wasn't really a thing. And he's turned them literally into a national power. Like all, not overnight. It's been a it's been a steady rise for him, but it's been just so fun to watch. And he deserves all the credit in the world. Carson, my freshman year at Oklahoma State, uh, there were two girls that lived across the hall. Hannah and Shelby were their names. We 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 met them at some, you know, Bennett Hall function, uh, and they told us that they played softball. And the reaction in 2011, whenever you were told that you play softball, it's like, oh, that's cool. That's cool. You're on the softball team. Carson, these girls are rock stars now. They are rock stars. This team is unbelievable. This is a softball state. Oh, you know, she's the number one and number two teams in the country. Bedlam is going to be absolutely unbelievable. Um, it, it's still OU's world and everybody else is just living in it until they get dethroned. But this is the most optimistic I've been that Oklahoma State could dethrone Oklahoma in softball. I think this team has a legitimate chance to win a national championship. Uh, they are right now, Carson, what a 32 and two uh, and have not lost in a cool while. So that is a, a great one from you. 300 for Kenny Gajewski and he got there quickly. Yeah. And Look, Oklahoma's still Oklahoma, but I don't think they're quite the juggernaut without Jocelyn Allo that they've been. So we'll see. I mean, they were down to Texas in the, bo the bottom of the seventh. They yeah, had to come back and win. Walked um, they walked it off yesterday. We had uh, we had some family members that are diehard OU softball fans. Uh, my daughter's first birthday party was yesterday. Her birthday is actually tomorrow, but the party was yesterday. Uh, and they were sitting in the back watching the OU-Texas softball game on their phone. They started cheering when they walked it off. Which... Did you see, by the way, that Texas coach basically accusing Patty Gasso of cheating? Uh, I saw like some sort of headline about it, but at the time I didn't have time to dive in and read it. Ex explain to me what he said there. So he was doing an interview just with like the Texas videographer, basically just previewing the series against Oklahoma. And it was a long, it was like a 20 minute interview, but at, at the end he, you know, he calls OU like the bully. They bully everyone because they're so good, which I, I view as a compliment. But at the very end, he's like, and they just keep reloading. I'm not sure how they do it. And he and he starts to say something. He goes, well, I'm just going to stop there. I, I probably shouldn't say much more. Whoa. Ba basically kind of insinuating that they're reloading through illicit measures. And Patty Gasso was rightfully livid. Apparently didn't talk to him, wouldn't talk to him. And he like has been backtracking ever since. So after they lost the other night to OU, he, he went on this long diatribe about how OU has NIL for football, gymnastics, and softball. But at Texas, we have 22 sports to worry about, as if Oklahoma doesn't and every other school in the Big 12 doesn't have more than just a couple sports. So he, 
he was basically trying to say that Texas is poor and is a have not, and that Oklahoma is a have, which is just tell me you're trying to double down and backtrack without telling me. I mean, that it was just he just kept digging the hole even deeper. That is so so weird. It, it is totally cowardice for me for any coach to go out here and complain about other teams cheating, buying their players, anything like that. God, this is not not. 74 where they're going down to the the local Chevy dealership and getting a car under the table. This is 2023 NIL's a thing and for the Texas coach of all people to come out and cry poor, we just can't compete with the likes of Oklahoma down here at Texas of all places. Give me a break. Go go be better. You want to beat OU, be better. You know why they keep reloading? Because they're really damn good. Then they keep winning national championships. Same reason Alabama keeps reloading. Does money help? Does NIL help? Sure. But they keep winning because they're really, really good. And people want to go play for the best coaches in the country at the best programs in the country and win national championships. And guess what, Texas coach? Y'all haven't been that. OU has. Uh, do I like OU? No. Do I respect their softball program and the greatness that Patty Gasso has established down there? Yes. Yes. And I, I just, I, I mean, I know that this is devolved into a totally different conversation, but Carson, I really am geeked for Bedlam softball this year. Uh, it is going to be absolutely electric. This state is going to turn up for Bedlam softball. Yeah, it's going to be electric. Um, and I'm with you. I think Oklahoma State legitimately has a, a chance to win a national title. So that's, that's exciting. Uh, last BB for me, and we'll get out of here. Um, April 1st, like, Twitter has just turned into nonsense on April 1st. Like I just literally just had to log off yesterday. Like my, my poor dad thought Victor Wimbenyama had was pulling his name out of the NBA draft. He like thought that was fact. I went over to their house, uh, my parents' house yesterday and we were talking about thunder and he was like, well, you know, Victor Wimbenyama is not even in the draft anymore. I'm like, dad, that was an April fool's joke. Like you just got to stay off Twitter today. And so it, I just, I've never liked April fools. I've never thought it was funny. Uh, maybe I'm just a curmudgeon, but, for social media, it just it spreads, you know, misinformation now. And people people thought Kevin Stitt was running for president yesterday, Colby. So I'm just I've had it with April Fools. Yeah, the one that that I it didn't get me yesterday, but it frustrated me. The DP World Tour tweeted out a video of a guy named Adrian Moronk and his pre-shot routine as, as Pesa plays a big conversation in golf, and they put it on a loop. Like him, him, his little takeaway. They put it on a loop for like a minute and 20 seconds. And there's all these people on Twitter ripping Adrian Moronk to shreds for being such a slow player. And I'm like, DP World Tour, you just gave this guy a reputation as the slowest player in the world because you looped this swing for a minute and 20 seconds and made it look like he can't hit the ball. These aren't funny. They're all lame. Trust me, if you're trying to make an April Fool's joke on Twitter, 100% chance it's lame. And like you said, it's just at this point spreading disinformation that, that people take as fact, even on April 1st. Uh, yes, I, I also do not like April Fool's Day on Twitter specifically because it's just people making lame, dumb, bad jokes. None of them are clever. Uh, I'm with you on that. That's a, that's a good one. Yeah, I'm, I'm done with it. Um, who's winning the Masters? And we'll get out of here. Oh, wow. We're going that route real quick. Uh, Cowboy baseball, big win yesterday. Texas was on a 16-game winning streak, Carson. These are two of arguably uh, the best teams in the Big 12 Conference. Texas is 4-1 and one in conference. Uh, OSU is now 5-3. and three. Rubber match this afternoon in Stillwater. So hopefully Josh Holiday's crew gets it done for, I believe, Oklahoma State's ranked 13th in the country right now uh, in baseball. Nolan Schubert continues to mash uh, eight home runs already for the true freshman, batting 402 in the leadoff spot. Wow. So, uh, good stuff from Nolan Schubert. Uh, the Masters, Carson, uh, uh, it's hard not to like the way that Rory McIlroy is playing golf right now. Scotty Scheffler, obviously, I, I'm really going out on a limb here by saying Rory and Scotty, uh, maybe John Rahm is a dark horse. I, how do you pick How do you pick against one of those three guys? It it feels insane to say, would you have, take these three or the field? Carson, if you offered me those three or the field, I think I'm taking those three. Especially this year where when the big dogs have been there, they're all right at the top of the leaderboard. Like the best players seemingly every week have played the best. Like it's it's become far more predictable than ever just because they've been, those three have really separated themselves from everyone else. So I think you're totally right. Anyone but Scotty Scheffler, I find the guy more boring than paint drying. Uh, I would love to see Rory win it. Again, Kyle and I, Porter and I used to argue about Rory. I used to not be a Rory guy, but he's really won me over the last few years. Just what a good dude he is. 
Uh, Kyle actually has a relationship with him, somewhat professional relationship. So I've really grown to like the guy. He's well-spoken. I think it would be great for the sport to him, you know, to to come back to Augusta every year for the next 40, 50 years. That'd be great. And he switched to the Scotty Cameron blade putter. He finally got rid of that spaceship you and I have putted with, that spider. And I think that's going to be the difference. I think Rory's going to win it, and I think it's going to be sensational. Uh, yeah, I love my spaceship. I can't believe it didn't work for Rory. The, the blade looked good. Uh, the driver looked good, lost a half an inch, uh, of length out of his driver shaft, which seemed to help him, uh, whatever issues he was dealing with whenever he missed the cut at the players. So, um, I mean, yeah, it's, I, we're talking about the guys at the top. Unfortunately, Ricky's not going to be there. He had to win the Valero Texas open this week and was unable to do it. Uh, Hovland will be there. And then the, the live guys who were qualified will be there. Gooch. I think it's just Gooch, maybe. Charles Althair is not qualified. Uh, Wolf's not qualified. Chikar's not qualified. Um, so, yeah, I think it'll just be Hovland maybe as the only Cowboy representing. Alex Noren might be in the field. Uh, I'd have to go check that. Uh, Noren's in it, yeah. Noren's in it. Okay, so uh, outside those top three, though, j- just anybody outside the top three, I think I'd give you two names. I gave them to you a couple of weeks ago. They're playing well. They're gaining strokes. They've both had high finishes uh, at Augusta National, particularly in 2019, whenever Tiger ended up going on to win. Patrick Cantlay and Tony Finau, um, both those guys are playing good golf. I think Xander Schauffele is another one. Again, I'm not going way down the board, but I, I don't. it doesn't feel like a long shot year to me. If it's not one of those top three, I think it's one of those guys right there in that next tier, uh, and those are the ones that I would probably take. What about Jason Day? You know, I don't think that he's going to bust back into the winner's circle at the Masters. It's been yeah. a few years. I, I just... I think that you build up to winning that major championship as a player like that. I do think Jason Day is going to win this year. I don't think it's going to be a major championship. I, I think he's going to have to build back up to that. Uh, playing great golf, but going out and winning a major is a little bit different. Well, I'll just say this. He's got a great history there uh, since the first time he played it. Uh, here are his finishes. T19, T10, T9, 5th. T7, T18, miscut, T16, T21, T11, T8. I mean, he's he's trending. Now, to your point, he hasn't won, or it's really only one top five in there, but playing well, good history there. Uh, if you're in a master's pool, I would, I would definitely throw Jason Day in it. Yeah, I, I think that he'll be very popular, uh, and he should be. He's a great player. He's actually – he's one of my favorite – players to watch whenever he was at his peak in 2015 2016 he reached number one in the world um just won a bunch i'm trying to go back and see uh that's let's the most that run he had was the closest thing we've seen to tiger since since tiger that was the most dominant golf we've seen since tiger's heyday when he yeah. was when he was on Absolutely. And the numbers back that up. The numbers back that up. Uh, you compare different eras. I saw a chart last week trying to compare different eras of golf by season and just the, the analytics and the data of how good a guy was in one individual season. And like the top three were different seasons that Tiger had. And then boom, Jason Day, uh, 2015, 2016. He won five times in 15, three times in 16, a major, a couple WGCs, uh, the biggest uh, players, the biggest events in the world. Uh, I'd be I'd be thrilled if he won because I think that he is good for the sport. I think he's incredibly likable, uh, beautiful family, beautiful wife, kids, all that good stuff. Uh, I think that he would be a, a very popular winner. Yep, I agree. Colby, it's been fun. We'll uh, we'll catch up later this week, uh, maybe talk a little bit more Masters and obviously everything Oklahoma State. Yes, sir. Hopefully uh, baseball and softball both get it done and continue rolling. Thanks, everybody, for listening. As always, go Pokes.